<clears throat> now, as like I said, we're going to be covering chapters 10, 1 through 21. But before we do, I want you to go with me to Romans 9, verses 30 through chapter 10, verse 4, to kind of, kind of pick us up with where we left off. Paul says, what shall we say then? Romans 9, verse 30. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, this is the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, if you remember way back a few weeks ago when we started chapter 9, look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Paul had set up this whole chapter, chapters 9, 10, and 11, dealing with his heart's desire for Israel to be saved. Look at Romans 9. Starting in verses 1 through 5, Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so what Paul's doing here in chapter 9, verses 30, through the beginning of chapter 10, is kind of summing up what he's been showing, how he wishes that the Jews would be saved, but they weren't willing to submit to God's plan of election. That's what, don't miss this. When we hear the word election, we've been taught that that means that God's already chosen who's going to heaven and who's not. Well, actually, what election means is that God has already determined ahead of time how people are to be saved, the process. He predetermined that, and it's only by faith alone in his provision for their sin. And if you try to add anything to it of your own effort, you're not saved. That's what the Bible is very, very clear about. Paul laid that all out. And that's why he used the whole illustration of how God chose, even though these two were Jacob and Esau were both in the womb and they're twins. And before either had done anything good or bad, he said, I'm going to work through Jacob and I'm not going to work through Esau. The Messiah is going to come through one and not the other to show. We saw that in our study of Romans 9 so that his purpose of election might continue to show that this is God's plan. He chooses how it works and we have to submit to it and say, your way to, to save me is your plan, and I submit to it. But the Jews, as we just read, instead of submitting themselves to God's plan for righteousness, which was faith in the Messiah, they tried to establish their own. They tried to establish that they were righteous. Interestingly enough, they would even condemn Jesus, who was sinless, as they walked around acting like they were righteous, the religious leaders. So before we go any further, though, I want to talk to you again about verse 3 and warn us for a little bit. I want to talk to Christians for a little bit before we break down chapter 10 tonight. Look at verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit 
to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. After having begun our relationship with Jesus by faith, we too many times try to increase our own righteousness by falling back into legalism. I want you to understand, we could spend our time tonight and talk about how the Jews wouldn't submit themselves to God's plan for their righteousness, and they tried to establish their own righteousness. And hopefully, I'm going to talk to you tonight like you're a believer, that you've already trusted in Jesus as your Savior, and you know you're going to heaven because of his gift of salvation, and you're not trying to earn it at all, you're just receiving it as a gift. But I want to talk to you about a problem that you've had, and I've had, and we still have because of our flesh. We sometimes, even though we know the scripture says that we have no righteousness unless God gives it to us, correct? We, though, in the fact that the Bible talks about us growing in our relationship with the Lord, increasing in knowledge, manifesting this righteousness that we've been given, we fall back into that trap as well of thinking that we have to establish our own righteousness. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure you struggled with this as well. I was raised by the church that said you can't do anything to save yourself, but now that you're saved, you owe it to God and you need to do these things. And a good Christian does these things and a good Christian doesn't do these things. And you tried to establish your own increased righteousness by following rules and regulations and laws. And many of us were raised in the era of the people teaching us that the Sunday was the Sabbath and you can't eat out on the Sabbath and you can't play and you can't work. And all these things that we were brought to go back under rules and regulations. And even though we would say, I can't be righteous unless God gives it to me, we then try in our own strength to establish our own increasing righteousness. How many of you, and I want to show hands tonight here, how many of you have had this thought or even told God when you had kind of fallen into sin, Lord, I'll make it right. I'll do these things. I'll do, I'll start praying more. I'll start giving more. I'll start going back to church. I'll start reading my Bible. Anybody, anybody done that? You, we all have. Because without realizing it, we can fall into that same trap of thinking that we are to establish our own righteousness to get right with God. We can't. We've already been made righteous. And as you're going to see from the scriptures, the same way in which we were given righteousness, that's how God increases it. Not by us establishing our own, but actually by God giving it to us by faith. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. I just felt as I was breaking this passage down that God wanted us to look at us. Not as much as we could spend all our time looking at how the Jews tried to establish their own righteousness. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 14. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith as well, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. 
For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. You're going to see he's quoting from a passage that Paul's going to quote from in chapter 10. But it, it, the law, verse, uh, verse uh, 12 again, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul's writing to believers and he says, look, guys, after having begun in the spirit, are you trying to finish it now? Perfect yourself in the flesh? And we all have. Like I said, we could spend our time tonight looking at how, as God said, this is the only way you can be made righteous to the Jews. And then instead of submitting themselves to God's only way through faith alone in Jesus, they tried to establish their own. Remember the two prayers, the prayers that Jesus talked about, the prayer of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector and how the Pharisee said, Lord, I am glad I'm not like other people. I fast, I tithe, I do this, I, I, I. But the tax collector said, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, the tax collector went home justified. Jesus himself said, many will say to me on that day when they face me for judgment, but didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? Didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Why? Because they tried to establish their own righteousness by doing things. And listen to me, and I'm going to show you this from the scriptures. Once you've been saved by God and sealed by God's spirit, you're not going to lose your salvation. But the only way you're going to grow in your walk with the Lord and actually have that righteousness that you've been given manifested that you can see it and the world can see it. The only way it's going to happen is you, by faith, believing that God will do through you what he said he would do. Do in you what he said he would do. How many of us have heard, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but how many of us have heard sermons on the fruit of the evidence of the Spirit? And then we come out of that sermon on patience and say, I need to be more patient. And we try to be more patient. You can't establish your own righteousness. It's an evidence or a fruit of the Spirit. Oh, but if you say, Lord, I realize from listening to this sermon on the fruit of the Spirit that you're not allowed because of me to produce this patience. I want you to do it, and I believe you will. And you start walking in obedience to what God says, and he actually will begin to produce. Why? Because you have faith. He responds to faith. Not you trying to help him. Or to do it for him. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 20 and 21. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul says. Listen to how he lives his life. He says in Galatians 2, 20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Look at what Paul said. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore, but the life I do live, I live by faith in Jesus. Lord, you said, I believe it. You're going to see, go to Colossians 2. Go to Colossians 2, verses 6 through 10. You're in Galatians. Go a couple of books to the right. Three, actually. Look at Colossians 2, verses 6 through 10. 
Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ, or in the same way that you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits. Another word that could be instead of spirits is principles of this world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, let me stop. Here, the scripture just says that in Christ lives the fullness of deity because Jesus is God. And if you have Jesus in you, you have the fullness of God in you, correct? Then how come we're not seeing it? Because we're still trying to produce it. It's there, but it's only manifested by faith. We walk in obedience to what God says, not in hopes that that will help God. No, we walk in obedience to what he says because we believe he will empower us and he will actually do it. He said that he would begin the good work and that he would finish it. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, I'm confident that he began the good work and you will finish it. How Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. When we start to really believe that God will not only save us by our faith, but actually increase our righteousness by walking with him in faith, let me tell you something. He will. But for too long in my walk with the Lord, and I had to learn the hard way, I tried to help Jesus. I knew I was saved. And I strove to be pure. And by the way, I wasn't. Anybody else have that struggle? You try hard to get better and you don't. And then Satan comes in and says, well, maybe you're not really saved. And you start wondering all that mess. And God had to confirm in my heart and show me that I was saved. I have evidence of the Spirit. Well, Lord, how come it's not increasing? How come I'm still struggling with these same things? How come I'm not seeing this love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness? He said, because you're still trying to establish your own righteousness. You've you got to let me do it. And when I learned how to stop trying to get better as a Christian, I got better as a Christian. When I stopped trying to do things out of duty, but say, God, you said you would give me a heart for you. Would you do that? Your word says that you would increase my love for you. Would you increase my love for you? Lord, you say that you'll put in me a desire. Lord, I don't understand the desire that David wrote when he said, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul longs after you. I want that. And guess what? He started to give it to me. And all of a sudden, instead of me having or feeling a obligation to study God's word, I wanted to. And it was supernatural. And it's been awesome. And it's not, people say, well, what is your regimen for studying the Bible? I don't have one. Well, do you get up every morning and spend your time with the Lord? Kind of. But it's different every day because I'm learning to walk with him. And some days he'll send me to my office and I'll just go spend time in the word and I'll be writing stuff down that he'll show me. Other times he'll say, let's just go for a walk and we'll talk. And I'll pray. Other times, I'll just sing while I'm driving my car to whatever it is going on that day. But I spend time with him. I'm talking to him all the time. I'm learning how to pray without ceasing and live my life. And I have stopped trying to do the right things. How many of you, show of hands, have heard preachers talk about the seven steps to the Christian life? You know what I'm saying? How many of you ever heard people say, if you do it for 21 days, it becomes a habit? Is that the flesh or the spirit? That's the flesh. And if you try to increase your righteousness with your effort, you're going to miss out on all the things that are available to you. 
the things that he's promised, but they're only received by faith. Don't fall prey, as Paul said, to people with plausible arguments and human principles and trying to be a good Christian by you trying harder. Lord, you saved me, and you said you would do all this stuff, and you'd make it known in my life. I want it. I really do. And then we believe that he will. You don't pray a prayer and say, all right, Lord, it's Wednesday. I asked you to do it, but I asked you to do it on Tuesday, and you haven't done it yet. Lord, I asked you to do it on Tuesday, and it's now Thursday, and you haven't done it yet. Lord, I asked you to do it on Tuesday. It's Saturday now, and you haven't done it yet. No, no. Real faith says he said he would. And so I'm going to trust that he will. And I'm going to walk in obedience to what he says, and he's going to do it. Go to Colossians 2. Look at verses 16 through 23. Therefore, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Wish I had known that when I was raised in the church. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head which is Jesus, by the way, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from you trying harder. It's a growth that's from God. Do you see it? If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits or principles of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Now these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now I could take you to Galatians 5 where Paul says, don't use this freedom that we have now that we're not under law to get better. We're, un we're under grace. Don't use this freedom to say, well, I can drink what I want, eat what I want, do what I want, say what I want. I can just do whatever. No, 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 no. I can look you in the eye right now and tell you because of the walk that God has for Jim Johnson, he has told me and I'm walking in obedience to him. Now, I would sin if I would say this is what you're supposed to do, too. Don't, let, don't hear it that way. But he has made very clear to me in the role that he has given me, he doesn't want me to touch alcohol. It's not that alcohol is a sin. We're not under law. We're under grace. Now, the Bible does say to be drunk is a sin. That's a different thing. But to drink alcohol in and of itself is not a sin. But I would be sinning if I did because God has said in the role that I've given you and the place that you are, as visible as you will be to people around the world, I want you to stay away from it. And I want you to walk with me there. Now, I would sin if I would say to everybody else, this is the rule God gave me. This is the rule you have to follow too. You understand? No, no, no. You don't follow man-made rules. You walk with the Lord. Oh, and by the way, you're going to learn when he says it's okay to have the drink and when he says not. You have to learn to walk with him. And if he says, I want you to stay away from it, you stay away from it. You have to learn how to walk with Jesus and your righteousness that he has already given you will begin to be made manifest if you stop trying to be a good Christian and do the things you're supposed to do and not do the things you're not supposed to do according to man's rules. But you walk with Jesus and do the things you're supposed to do that he is teaching you from his word and through his spirit and not do the things that he's told you through his spirit and his word. The Jews did not submit themselves to God's righteousness and had tried to establish their own. 
we Christians struggle in the same way that even though we've begun in the spirit, we don't submit ourselves to the only way that you're going to grow in Christ, which is also by faith, and we try to establish our own. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't fall into that trap. Oh, by the way, this is going to be a daily struggle. This is going to be a daily struggle until you go to see Jesus. You know why? Because you've got a problem and it's your flesh and it wants credit. It wants to get the pat on the back. It wants to have earned part of this growth. I'm doing really good now. I've, I've had a good week. I didn't cuss. I've had a good week. I didn't get angry. I've, did you catch it? Aye, aye, aye. That's why the Bible tells us that our spiritual act of worship in Romans 12, 1 and 2 is to offer our bodies, our flesh as a living sacrifice. Oh, but don't miss that. After it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to verse 2. Then you will know what his will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you learn how to, on a daily basis, say, Lord, I don't want to try to get better on my own, but you said you would do it. I want to walk with you and have you do through me what you want to do and do in me what you want to do. What do you got in mind for today? And he'll say, let's walk for the next hour. Because if he said, here's what I got in mind for the day, what would you and I try to do? Try to go do it for the day. I've learned. He, doesn't, he says, my grace is sufficient for today, but I'm not going to tell you where we're going today. I want you just to walk with me. Because that's how you learn how to walk by faith and let him walk through you and use you. Go to Romans 10. We're going to go all the way to verse 21 in our reading tonight, but I'm only going to get as far as verse 13 in our study because we're going to break this chapter down into two weeks. Romans chapter 10, listen to me read verses 5 through 21. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Does that sound familiar? Didn't Paul quote that same passage again back when we read there in Galatians 3? But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. For I, but I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, and with a foolish nation I'll make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. 
Now we're going to break this all down tonight and with the time we have left and next week. But let me just say this and a commercial for next week. When we get to verses 14 and following, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? I'm going to show you that the way that preachers have been preaching this to you all these years is the exact opposite of what Paul's really saying. We've been told that how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And if you don't tell them, they may never hear. Correct? You ever heard that kind of preaching? I'm going to show you that Paul, in the full context of the scriptures and this section, is saying the Jews did hear. God would never expect them to believe something that they had never heard. And he would never expect them to hear something unless he had sent somebody to go tell them. Did they not hear? Of course they did. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've turned it into, if you don't do it, it won't get done. That doesn't match up with the whole of Scripture. And also at the same time, we put the back on us. No, this is God's plan of salvation. He's doing it. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But the only way you get to be a part of God's purpose in election is to submit yourself and humble yourself and say, your plan is the only plan. Your plan is the best plan. And I submit to it. That's it. Not only to be saved, but also to grow in your walk with the Lord. So Paul begins by quoting from Leviticus 18.5. Go to Leviticus 18 verse 5. I'm going to begin to show you tonight, and we'll continue next week, how all this stuff about God's plan for salvation being through his provision and forgiveness and mercy and grace, and not by how good you are or how well you keep the law, has been in the Old Testament all along. Leviticus 18, look at verse 5. Leviticus 13, verse 5, 18, verse 5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So it sounds like if I just keep his rules, I'll live. Correct? That is what he said. He said, if you keep my rules, you'll live. Oh, but now go to Deuteronomy 27. Look at verses, verse 26. Deuteronomy chapter 27 Verse 26. It says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. All right? He's just given all these blessings and curses for Mount Ebal. And, and, and he says, Bless, blessed is every, Cursed is everyone who doesn't keep it perfectly. And they all say, Okay. By the way, how'd they do? How'd you do? Not well. If you keep my commandments perfectly, you'll live. If you don't keep them perfectly, you're cursed. You're under cursed. You're dead. Oh, and the soul that sins, go to Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel chapter 18. The soul that sins, it shall die. we got to slow down and let this sink in for a minute and hear what God's saying. Ezekiel 18, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, and it says, came to me, and he says, what to you, and that's plural, what do y'all in Israel mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Here's the proverb they were saying. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. 
As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. And the soul who sins shall die. So this is what God said. He, when it says proverb, it wasn't mean they were quoting from the book of Proverbs. No, it was just a saying that they had. And they were saying that when a father sins, the kids are punished for it. And he says, no, you guys got to stop saying that because that's not true. As I live, declares the Lord, all souls belong to me, the soul of the father and the soul of the children, and the soul that sins, it will die for its sin. No one's going to die for somebody else's sin. Well, actually, there was, but we'll get to him in a second. So let's let this sink in for a minute. God comes to the nation of Israel and says, here is my law. If you keep it, you live. Okay, we're going to keep it. Good. Oh, then he says to him, by the way, if you break one of them, you're under a curse. You've sinned. You've missed the mark and you're going to die. James chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Listen to James 2.10. If you're able to keep the whole law perfectly except miss one point, you're guilty as if you broke it all. Because the only way you can be made righteous by living by the law, the soul that does them shall live by them. The only way you can be made righteous in God's sight by observing the law is to keep it perfectly. Well, hopefully everyone would go, well, nobody can do that. Well, Exactly. No human can do that unless there's one human who was also God. Oh, and by the way, this came about when God gave the law. He had already been showing them in our study of Romans. We've already seen this. He'd already been showing them that all the people from Adam and Eve all the way to Moses were all dying. Why? Because they sinned. Adam and Eve broke a command, but there were no commandments between Adam and Eve and Moses in the law. Yet all those people were dying. God was showing them they sinned. They're dying. You got a problem. You need a savior. Well, the only way I'll ever be saved or the only way I'll be ever righteous before God or get to go to heaven is if he gives it to me in mercy. Exactly. Oh, but he's got a plan that someone would have to come in your place, live as a human without sin, and then be put to death for you. And when, as you're going to see tonight and next week, the Old Testament prophecies also said that this individual was going to suffer, was going to rise from the dead, and everyone that believes in him would be given righteousness. Go to Romans chapter 3 again. Romans chapter 3, look at verses 10 and 11. Actually, we'll start in verse 9. Romans chapter 3, verses 9, 10, and 11. Paul says, what then? Are, Jews, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged, we've already stated that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written... None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. By the way, do you all know where that was written? We've all thought that no one's righteous, not even one. The first time it was ever written was in Romans 3.10. No. Go to, go to Psalm, Psalm 14. Go to Psalm 14. Look at verses 1 through 4 and tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. Psalm 14. 
verses 1 through 4. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So God had already been telling them in the Old Testament, there's no one who does good. There's no one who keeps the law perfectly. Everyone that doesn't keep the law perfectly is under a curse. Hopefully, they would wise up and say, then God, what do we do? You're going to see that people ask that question in just a little bit tonight. But as we've seen before in our study, God's purpose in giving the law was to do what? It was twofold. Do you remember? What was one of the reasons why God gave the law? To show that no one can keep it. We're going to show you that in just a second. And there's a second part as well. It was also to fuel our sin. What fuels our sin and makes us want to sin more is the law. We've talked about that a bunch already. You'd be walking down a street and never even think about stepping on someone's lawn if you're on a sidewalk. But if they had a bunch of signs that said, stay off my grass, everything in you now wants to go, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? You know what I'm saying? And the Bible tells us, go to Romans chapter 3, look at verses 19 and 20. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Go to Romans 5, look at verse 20. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Like, so there's the twofold part purpose of the law. One, to show you you can't keep it. Once you try, go ahead. That's why Jesus, when the rich young ruler came to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't say, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me first. The first thing he said was, keep the law. Now, all of us would go, wait a minute, Jesus. No one's declared righteous by observing the law. Here's this guy saying, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Why would you tell him to go keep the law? Because he's got to realize he can't keep it first because Jesus knows this guy thinks he can what does he say when Jesus says, go keep the law? He says, I have since my youth. I've always for years kind of pictured Jesus thinking under his breath, liar. That's one. But this guy doesn't realize he's not able to keep the law. So what Jesus does when he says, sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me, is he pretty much says, says to the guy this. He says, listen, uh, people have asked me what the greatest commandment in the law is. And I've summed up the whole law and the prophets into two things. We're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're able to keep the whole law, these two things will be simple for you. Tell you what, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. That's the neighbor part, and come follow me. That's the love the Lord your God part. And the guy went away sad. Why? Because he wasn't able to keep the law. He loved things more than he loved God. By the way, that's the first one, isn't it? So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no other gods. This guy that thought he could keep the law had to have the law shown to him in another form to show him he couldn't keep it. Go to Romans 9. Look at verses 14 through 16. Romans 9, 14 through 16. 
What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Listen, when God gave, told Moses who he was and displayed his glory to him, just the backside of him, because Moses couldn't handle the full glory of God in his flesh, he would have died. When God revealed his name to him and walked before Moses, he said, this is who I am, and my name is I am. And, I, and then he said this, and I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. We have unfortunately had preachers turn that into God determines which people he wants to save and which people he doesn't want to save. No, that's not it. What, he's, what Jesus was really saying, what God's saying is this. You want to get right with me? You need my mercy. Why would he be even offering mercy unless there were people that needed mercy? But I've already determined who I give mercy to. Those who are humble and acknowledge their sin, their need of someone else to give them righteousness, and they submit to my plan, which was faith alone in Jesus Christ. Go to Romans 3 again. Romans chapter 3, look at verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest. It's been made known apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they've been pointing to it all along. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In chapter 10, when Paul starts off in our section in verses 5 and following, for Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. He's saying, look, God already showed you. You want to be righteous by the law? You got to live it perfectly. Now go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Again, let me show you another Old Testament passage that's been showing this all along. In chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, I'm going to jump through it because of time. We have a lot to cover, but look at what he says here. In chapter 30, verse 1, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord will, give, will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he'll gather you from, again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And then he goes on. Look at verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Did you catch that? Does that sound familiar? That's what Paul's quoting from here. 
in Romans chapter 10. Look at what he says again. He says that people are going to think they're going to be righteous by the law. They, they, they got to keep it perfectly. But the righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word's near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Listen closely, folks. In Deuteronomy 30, if you were to take the time and read it, God was saying to the nation of Israel, you are going to sin. And because of your sin, there's going to be consequences. I'm going to scatter you as a nation. But I also promise in the last days to bring you back. But I'll do that when you guys repent and you humble yourself and you call out to me in mercy and for mercy. And I will give you mercy. You're going to blow it. You don't keep it perfectly, but I will give you forgiveness. I will give you righteousness if you come to me. Oh, and by the way, what I've been showing you is right there. It's near you. It's in your heart. I've, you know this inside. Romans chapter 2 verses 12 and following talks about how those who don't even hear the written law of God, the Gentiles, those who didn't have God's word, have his law written on their hearts. They know when their consciences show them they're lawbreakers and they're sinners. And everybody knows there's a God. Everybody knows that they have a problem. Now, most people don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to deal with it. And they won't submit themselves to God's plan for their salvation. And they think they can be good enough themselves. If you talk to someone out there today and ask them, if you died today, would you go to heaven? They'd say, yeah, I think so, because I'm a pretty good person. You weigh my good and my bad and my good. They think their righteousness is going to get them there. And all along, and by the way, when it says who's going to bring Christ down from heaven or who's going to go down and raise him from the dead, let me ask you real quick. How many of you went and got Jesus and brought him down to the earth? Well, how did he get here? God sent him because it was God's plan. How many of you rose him from the dead? By the way, were the disciples all gathered around the tomb praying him out? No, they were all hiding, not even believing that he would come back from the dead. They didn't even know he told them over and over and over. They weren't doing it. God's doing it. It's not your effort. It's not your trying harder. You can't be saved by your effort. Listen again. You can't grow in Christ by your effort. You have to believe that he'll give you righteousness to be saved. And you also must keep believing. You're already saved. But you also must keep believing that God on a daily basis will manifest this righteousness in you. You'll change. He's predestined, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. He's predestined to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, you planned ahead of time not only to save me by faith, but you also planned ahead of time to conform me into the image of your son. Do it. He says, okay. He says, oh, but by the way, I got my schedule and my plan. I'm going to do it, but you have to let me do it in my way. Go to Psalm 51. Oh, by the way, um, David is described as a man. What? How is David described? A man after, what's he described? A man's after God's own heart. Hang on for a second. Y- y'all ever watch David a little bit? I mean, this guy uh, had a bunch of wives and a bunch of concubines. He uh, commits adultery. He gets people drunk. He gets, commits murder. Uh, he's not the best father. When he finally lets Absalom come back into town, he says, don't let him anywhere near me. I'm not going to talk to him. And for two years, he didn't even talk to his son. 
this guy, according to our definition, is not righteous. But he had a heart for God, even though his flesh was a mess, and he wanted to be right before God. And he, when he sinned and the Spirit convicted him, he repented and he sought God's mercy. Listen to Psalm 51. By the way, the Bible tells us he wrote this after sinning with Bathsheba. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, I've been a sinner since the day I was conceived. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways. Did you catch that? He says, Lord, I need you to wash me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to make me clean. I need you to change my heart. And then I'll do the right things. He doesn't say, Lord, I blew it. Lord, I sinned. I tell you what, I'm going to start telling people about you. I'm going to start preaching a little bit more. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to write bigger checks to the church. Lord, I'm going to do these things so that you will. Do you see it? It's the other way around. Lord, I need you to change my heart. You need to do this work in me. And then as you change my heart and you wash me clean and you control me, the right stuff will happen. Oh, look at what he says in verse uh, 16. He says, you'll not delight in sacrifice or I'd give it. You're not going to be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Go to chapter 40 of Psalm. Go to Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of your book. It is written about me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, wait a minute, Jim. Now we're seeing twice that the Old Testament is saying that God doesn't want the sacrifices. But didn't he command the sacrifices? Didn't he say you have to do it on this day and at this time? And if you do this, then you've got to do this kind of sacrifice. Didn't he command them? Yes, but they were to show that you need blood to cover your sins. And as the Hebrew writer said, it should have clicked in their heads that it kept having to be offered every year. If we have to keep doing it, it must not be making us clean because we have to keep doing it. But they were pointing to who? Jesus, the one from way back before the foundation of the world that was God's plan That man would be righteous through God's provision for their sin. That's why back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when Adam and Eve sinned, God says this. Oh, Satan, by the way, a seed, a descendant of this woman is going to come and kill you. He's going to defeat you. 
And a little bit, a little bit more, we see another picture of this one that's to come, this one that's to come, this one that's to come. He's going to come from David. He's going to come from Jesse. He's going to be, have the Spirit of God upon him. And he's going to be Almighty God himself. And he's going to be put to death for people's sins. We'll deal with that next week. And he's going to rise from the dead. We're going to see that next week as well. And all these things were being said to them. And he said, look, I, at a certain time, many hundreds of years after Adam and Eve I came and gave you the law to show you you can't keep it. I told you, good luck. You want to be righteous? Keep the law. The one who does them shall live by them. Oh, by the way, if you keep it perfectly, you'll live. Otherwise, you're under a curse. And the soul that sins will die. And you should have realized we can't do it. As I kept showing you in the Old Testament, if you return to me, if you come to me with a humble heart, if you come, I'll forgive. That's what I respond to. Oh, and by the way, your sin still had to be paid for by blood. But I've already taken care of that, too, because he's going to come and he's going to be the sinless sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All the things the sacrifices are pointing to can be fulfilled in Jesus. And everyone that believes in him will not be put to shame. But the Jews, instead of submitting to God's plan, tried to establish their own righteousness. Go to Psalm 34. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves who? The crushed in spirit. In other words, he responds to humility and brokenness, repentance. Go to Isaiah chapter 28. Go to Isaiah 28. Look at verse 16. Boy, we're spending most of tonight in the Old Testament. Good. Because that's laying the foundation for where we're going to go next week. Chapter 10 has been showing all along that Moses had written it. That's the first five books of the Bible. God had shown them in the book of Psalms, David and other psalmist writings. Look at Isaiah 28. Look at verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And whoever believes in, believes will not be in haste. By the way, does that sound familiar? That was at the end of chapter nine. Remember, they've stumbled over the stumbling stone. God says, I'm going to lay a cornerstone. I'm going to lay a sure foundation and everyone that believes in him will not be put to shame. Well, where does it say that? Oh, I can't wait to show you. Go to Joel 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Look at verses 25 through 27. God says to the nation of Israel, I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You know, you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there's no, none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. But now keep reading. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants, on slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So in Joel, he goes on and he says, if you'll come to me, I'll never put you to shame again. Whoever believes in him will be saved. Whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. Well, who's the him? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Remember Jesus, after he rose from the dead, met with his disciples for 40 days and taught them about the kingdom of God. And they said, is it going to happen now? He said, no, not, not. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. There's going to be a kingdom on the earth. But don't worry about the times of the seasons. That's not for you to know. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift that the Father promised. You just wait there. So they waited another 10 days. And then the day of Pentecost, as you know, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came into the room and divided into uh, the pillar of fire, divided into individual pillars of fire as the Spirit of God came to indwell all these people. And listen to Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and following. All right. They start preaching in languages they didn't even know. People are hearing them in languages that these, the speakers didn't even know how to speak. But verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Acts 2, verse 14. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, it's nine in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on male servants and female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the divine plan, definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make, you make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is still with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and all of all that we are witnesses. Bring, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Listen closely. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent 
and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. All he did was share the Old Testament and show how Jesus fulfilled it. And they said, what should we do? We're broken. And he says, all you got to do is repent. Acknowledge your sin. Be baptized with your way of saying, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Identify with him publicly. What did Paul say in Romans 10? With your mouth, you confess. The heart you believe, in your mouth you confess. That's why baptism needs to be public. I, I'm not against against churches having baptistries in the sanctuary and only Christians watching the baptism. It's a public one. I like it when we do it in the ocean. Because all these other people are going, what's going on? Well, these people are identifying with Jesus Christ publicly. I think it's a wonderful thing. If you go to Acts 16, don't turn there. But if you go to Acts 16, you'll see that when Paul and Silas were illegally arrested, not even put to trial, and they were put in chains and beaten, they're in the jail and they're singing praises to God. And then God knocks the jail apart. The jailer who's in charge of all the prisoners thinks they've escaped and he's going to kill himself because if you let your prisoners escape, you were put to death and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't, don't do it. We're all here. No one's left. And he comes and he says, what must I do to be saved? And all Paul said is what? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you a question as we close tonight. Have you submitted to God's righteousness through faith alone in Jesus? Are you still trying to establish your own? Now that you've been saved, if your answer is yes to that question, if you ask me that question, I'll say, yes, I've submitted to God's plan of righteousness and I put my faith in Jesus. I know if I die today, I'm going to heaven because of his word and his promise. Not because of me, not because of anything I've done. I know I'm going to heaven because I put my faith in Jesus and he's confirmed it by giving me his spirit. But if you ask me, I'll ask you the same question. Are you still trying to establish or increase your own righteousness by being good enough? Well, I'll have to say, yeah, I kind of fall into that once in a while. And God says, humble yourself before my plan. I start it, I finish it, and it's by faith. You got to know what I said to have faith, because faith only comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, but that's next week. Know what he said and then believe that he'll do it. And I promise you, you'll start to see victory over sin. You'll start to see evidence of the spirit of peace and joy and patience and things like this that you don't even have to try to do. You don't have to try to be more patient. You're going to find yourself going, wow, that didn't even bother me. It'll start to happen because his word is true. Like I said, next week when we come back, we're going to break down that famous passage and show you what it's really saying. And I can't wait. Until then, I love you. Thanks for coming.